Oh, a very attractive naked young lady. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Don't look at her muff. Hey, how you doing? Welcome back to Pretend Ship. This week in the treehouse with us, kind of, on a telly, is entertainer, theatre maker, clown, Susanna Amato. Happy with that intro? <laughs> Say hello yes. to my listeners. Hello. Um, the lovely Susie Amato. I uh, met her doing, well, we did a video together and then I've seen her perform in a theatre, we'll, we'll chat about that. That was pretty in, intense. The, the night, your performance was mm. lovely, but the night was strange, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, come in and uh, we'll uh, shoot the shit, chat about life and everything. Let's go. You know, you know what you get from cheap shops to hang your washing on a radiator? You know, those kind of hook things. That is what was keeping the shredder up. Yeah. So I got two of them and put them to the sides. And that's what the shredder was sat in. And so all the stuff could go down the stairs. Yeah, I know it's that. Yeah, for, for people um, listening, that are, most people won't have seen it because only like a couple dozen people really were ever at one time stood watching it. I'll just explain mm. what it was. Um, it's this theatre in Manchester, Nyamos, that... Um, Susie was performing at and I, I'd yeah we'd shot a video together and then I was just sort of we, we chatted a little bit and you had said that you perform sometimes and I was like intrigued and oh let me go and check out some shit and I ha hadn't been to that um, theatre before either um, mm. so I turned up and you'd and it was sort of a nice thing for me to take my mum to as well because the show was called the piece was called Landfill of Memories, was it? Is that what it was called? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, correct, yeah. It's about, um, well, it, it featured you having to trawl through your possessions, like photographs, um, your old passport, like a lot of birthday cards off people, just t train tickets that you just hoarded, for lack of a better word, and you had to feed it all into a shredder and but speak about each piece as it came, which... I remember when you first started, it was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And then it became more, uh, um, I don't know, it was just nice to hear the memory. And we were sort of over how it, how intense it was to, to actually destroy the pieces. And it became about just like hearing about all these different um, parts of your life. Um, and these narratives sort of emerged out of it where there was letters um, to uh, a guy that you'd known in prison and I don't know, yeah, you got to hear his letters to you before you would shred them, but then all out of order. So it was somewhere from just before he got out and somewhere from when he'd just gotten in there. And it was it was like funny to hear all that. And then you would explain the photographs and stuff. A lot of them was, were still like remained quite intense that you would shred them throughout where it would be, um, you know, a letter from your sister about your dad and just like real heavy feelings and um, I th yeah, I took my mum to it because she's a hoarder and she said that she was like tearing up a few times. But it was interesting how 
there was no set way that it would have gone before you started because you were selecting things at random and encouraging people to choose things for you. And it, it was like exciting that no one had, including you, had any idea what it might end up like until we were in it. So like, yeah, it was it was a fucking sick show. So it was, it was like, I remember when I got out, I said to my mum, that was interesting anyway, but I think I would just listen to her read from the yellow pages and you you would make it captivating. You somehow made reading 10 train tickets in a row really funny. Do you know what I mean? Like, had you yeah. had any idea how it would go? Like, had you practiced in any way or rehearsed how that show would go or were you fully freestyling it? Well, firstly, thank you for those lovely compliments. Um, uh, yeah, I'm actually like getting a bit of a bead on just how, how complimentary you are of it. Sorry to um, start the show with just me <laughs> absolutely laying it on thick. So the way that I like to work is very task-based. So I like giving myself a task and only having a, a time frame to complete it in. So the idea that I kind of crammed 20 years worth of memories into three hours and how much can I get through in that time was quite exciting for me. And also a, a lot of the way I like to work is is within interactivity. So I really like inviting people in because it's not just, I don't like to work just solely on me. I like to, I like people to participate in the works. They feel like they're contributing to a process. Um, but no, I never rehearsed it. In fact, I didn't even know how it was gonna pan out. All I knew was that I had a shredder, I had all my stuff and I was in a space. I didn't know if people were going to be coming down the stairs. I didn't know right. if people would be, I didn't even think that people would be interested in it. That's, it was just an idea that I'd just give a, just try, but. Oh yeah, I we should say would... that it was on the stairs, like that I was walking around in this theatre and there was things going on just in every little nook and cranny, just in the corners, like you'd just be in the sort of the, the the cafe area like having a cup of tea and then you'd look under the table and someone would just be sort of dressed all in red lace sort of you know mimicking a renaissance painting or, or just the weirdest so your whole show and this was on a, a staircase so it was from the top to the bottom just filled it looked really cool I hope that you got some good pictures of it but just Mm. all these like shredded bits of paper all the way down the stairs and things sort of strewn about and then you were in the middle with the with the shredder yeah Nymos is a really interesting space because it's basically a 19th century theater like a vaudevillian theater so um uh, on the fir on the balcony um it's just red chairs and then because it's it i don't know if you know but like nina simone performed there and um charlie chaplin and and stan and Stan and what's the other guy called? Ollie. The duo. Stan and Ollie, yeah. Stan and Ollie. So they, they call yourself there a clown. Also. Isn't it Stan, Oliver? Anyway, those guys. So those guys <laughs> perform there too. So it's, it's very rich in traditional theatre spaces. You've got stage and then you've got seating area. But what Word of Warning did that night was turn the kind of non traditional spaces into theatre spaces, like the staircase. And I was really lucky because the staircase had a flat bit in the middle. It wasn't just one staircase going up. Yeah. So that made it more by the stage and audience. It's perfect. Um, like even if it hadn't needed to have necessarily been on the staircase, I don't know if you had your pick of the location, 
per se, but if I was going just from scratch, like where would you ideally do a piece like this? I might have designed something like a staircase where it's, all, all, you know, you can see the full, without it just being flat on the floor and then having to mm. sort of peer over all these piles, you could see all the stuff, do you know what I mean? So like that's almost the um, ideal um, way to display what you were doing. Yeah, and again, like when I got to the venue on the day, I didn't know how it was even going to look. Like I had no idea that I was going to have a wheelie bin at the top of the staircase kind of tipped over in kind of action uh, and all this kind of, all these memories kind of shredded memories coming all the way down the staircase. I mean, if I was going to do it in another space, I'd probably be in the mid in the midst of all the shredded yeah. stuff. And you could probably see my face is kind of bobbing and shredding and maybe people will have to wade through to kind of find me. I guess it's another way of, where is she? I'm pretty sure she's in here so I can hear her. How was it? it How was it actually having to get, was there anything that you were like, oh no, I don't want to have to get rid of this? Good question. No. So you didn't cheat? No, I didn't cheat. No, everything there... Every, everything I picked up, I shredded, and and I was happy to do it. I have no regrets of anything that I've shredded. Wow, I don't. I think I couldn't do that. I've been like I'd been pretty. I think I inherited the hoardiness from my mum a little bit because I have this thing where, say, if it's like a piece of packaging, or I'm not necessarily as sentimental, um, you know, in terms of like keeping Christmas cards and stuff, but I, I tend to fathom of uses for little bits of mm. tat like oh the the lid off this milk container could be cool if i repurpose it into a and then i have to i have to go no i'm not going to and, and just get rid of it but yeah for a time i had a really really messy room it was just full of just it, it was bad it, it wasn't like lunch boxes full of shit but it was you know pile it was valleys that you had to sort of mm. meander through the room there, there was no way to determine what color the carpet was you had to construct furniture out of just shit that was not not human waste i mean like you know milk <laughs> milk containers or whatever actual poo Fe- fecal matter <laughs> um but so then how do you then how do you then decipher what to keep and what not to keep well now i've sort of for for better or worse i've developed a very cold sort of keep nothing so everything just goes. So, uh, you know, I tend to go through my inbox, or my email, texts, call log and stuff and just get rid of that like weekly. So I don't have text <gasps> from more than a week ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brutal. It's Absolutely brutal. brutal. Yeah. And it, it ends up being a bad thing on occasion because people go, oh, what about that thing? And I go, it's gone. Like, but it does mean that I've not, I'm, I think although that might seem a little bit much to be getting rid of texts and shit like that when it's so easy to keep them and it's not a mess. It's really mm. a sim- it's symptomatic of this more holistic approach I've got now to just never keeping anything that is not definitely um, of use. Mm. And hoarding, they were like, even with having hoarding disorder and trying to keep as much as possible, because you think it has another purpose, even just that spectrum of getting rid of text is kind of hoarding because because you do have a sentimentality to things, even if they aren't tangible things as well, which is why we keep photos, which is why we have iCloud storage or we have, yeah. you know, um, 
external hard drives because we also can't get rid of things as well but if it's an external hard drive and it's put in a box which is in a cupboard away it's still an element of trying to keep things yeah so i i'm not too sure how it going into a digital age that how we're actually going to part from holding on to things yeah it's easier to hide for sure i mean i had suggested to you yeah. like you have all these photographs that you might still want to use as a key to the memory that they sort of are associated with and to shred them you might end up not remembering the person or the time quite as much so you can always take a picture of it because it takes up less room then but yeah it it is Mm -hmm. more i think um it's easier for hoarders to to hide if there's no physical space that they're all their um sentimental um keepings occupy Mm -hmm. I mean, I've learned a lot from doing the piece, that's for sure. Um, I've, I've also learned a lot from other people's responses to it too. So like you were saying about your mum was feeling quite teary um, whilst watching me do it. And, you know, I think a lot of people really enjoyed the kind of catharsis of letting go of this stuff, which, yeah. is, which has been a big part of my process um, over the past kind of 10 years with um, my father dying when I was like 20 and then my sister dying a year and a half later, who's 30, who died from a heart attack, which had no underlying health conditions. Fuck. And that was kind of, with my dad, I kind of saw it coming because he was in hospital for a long time, but with my sister, it was very sudden and traumatic and kind of inheriting all of their things and kind of coming to a place where I'm able to let go is, is all a part of this journey of kind of holding on and letting go and what have I learned and you know, it kind of takes you to a different place when you're uh, enjoying letting go of things, that it's not painful anymore. Yeah. That's also, like, been a, a really lovely part of exploring ideas of death and letting go and moving on. I think it's... I think I, I would advise a lot of people, if they're in a position to have all their things around them and to, you know, it's kind of like a... Is it Mary Kondo? Like, she has, like, a really interesting <laughs> way of parting with things. It's like she... You hold something, and if it brings if there's an inspiration inside of you, or if there's something that sparks a memory or an interest, you keep it, but if you don't throw it away. And it's kind of like the same thing, but I think hoarding is like on a different level, but you have to find your own process. Yeah. But I think the first part is actually coming to terms with having hoarder disorder, I think is, and, and when I did have that in that, fuck, I am a hoarder, that's when this whole idea came from. Yeah. So it's been quite short, but it's come from a long, many many years of processing emotion yeah like my mum still struggles with like just she she goes yeah i am a hoarder although these specific several boxes of paperwork are actually necessary to keep like and i'll be like do you not think that might be useless like why are you like so she sort of admits she's a hoarder while still fighting for the um justification to keep a great many patently Mm useless objects do you know what i mean but yeah i agree with you it's sort of like freeing to do away with things that you feel strongly you should be keeping and then go mm. oh I've, I've survived like i did i thought i had this feeling that if i would throw this shit away that i would sort of die or uh, some something mm. terrible would uh, like manifest but yeah you throw it all away and you go oh I, i'm just carrying on normal it's completely not affected me yeah definitely and i think that feeling that people fear is this fear of disrespecting things that you've been given i think is like oh i can't get rid of this because it was given to me or is it passed on to me and i shouldn't get rid of it because it was sentimental to that person so therefore 
I should be sentimental about it. And actually, that's not how possessions work. Yeah. It is, in my opinion, that's quite like a... It's quite heavy. Maybe a controversial... Maybe it's quite a controversial thing, but I don't know. Like, you were saying you get rid of everything, but if I gave you something you got rid of it, well, I might feel disrespected. But it, it, at the end of the day, that thing doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to you, which yeah. is why breakups are really interesting because when you break up with someone and they throw away your shit and you see it in the bin, you're like... You, you can't have that attachment to it because you gave it to somebody yeah, else. Yeah, that's true. Well, I had, I had a weird moment where I'd thrown away, I had to adopt, you know, I, there was no, I had to be absolute when I was cleaning up my room, going from it being at, at its worst to turning over this new leaf. And I had to just really mercilessly take things in my hand that I knew had sentimental value to me and to other people, people had lent me things and given me things. And it was, it was either going to be, if I stop and look at this and judge whether or not this person's going to be upset, I'm going to be here all day casting judgment mm. on all the objects. So I just had to sort of coldly, blankly look at something that if I'd, <laughs> if I'd taken a second to compute, I would have gone, oh no, they're going to be really upset that I've thrown this away. But I had to go, I'm sorry, this is collateral damage and just put it in the bin bag, you know? <laughs> I'd love to see you do it. Like, I'd love to see you do my piece, but just like a bin bag, you know, like a litter picker. Yeah. Just like pick it up, look at it in the bin. Yeah. There's <laughs> no that. way I could make it as engaging as you made it, though. It was like, <laughs> you, you, how long did you do that piece for? Um, so that night I did it for three hours. Yeah. Because, like, and obviously, we had continuously to take off. doing it. We had to take off after a point, but I, I, I was there for like two hours or something, and I was like, Oh no, we have to leave. I sort of want to see how it ends, but how did it end? Mm. What was the end of the piece? So the ending, so the shredder gave way about 15 minutes before the end. Um, and in that time, I, um, I came across my passport, my in-date passport, and then I just shredded it by hand. So I got every single page and I shredded every page, got down to my photo, um, down to my pe uh, photo page and I shredded that as well. Oh, it was so good to do it. It's probably like totally illegal, but fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> like, how did did you get like a clap at the end? What happened? Yeah. So um, the people that were there um, applauded me. Um, I did a comical bow, um, and then kind of like waded down the stairs, like careful not to slip on anything, and then got a taxi home and had a beer and just had a sit down and was just really happy that I got through it and that there were people there and that people were actually interested and it got a good response. That was the biggest thing that I would had to process. Yeah. Um, and people suggesting, hey, you should take this to this festival and have you thought about doing it here? And what, that, how could as soon you, as you open How could you do it again now? It's sort of a one-time thing by, you know, definition. Well, I didn't, I didn't actually get through everything. Oh, that's true. There was so much stuff that I didn't actually get through everything. So I collated everything. So I had to take everything down as well, which was so fucking annoying, uh, so much stuff. Um, but fortunately, there were a group of um, like first year performance students that were invited to come and kind of help, you know, stop people from going through this door. And I had six girls who basically cleaned up my shit. <laughs> Like one of them was with a broom, the other one was dusting down the stairs. Someone was shoving all the memories in the in the bin, and one of the girls said, "It's really weird to see like your face shredded, and then I'm just shoving it in a bin." Yeah, it's pretty intense. <laughs> you you offered a couple of times, like, does anyone want to 
keep anything because like I guess that ties back into how you feel about possessions like this can become yours now and uh, like at first I was like oh she sort of hoping that some of the memories can escape the 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 holocaust here do you know what I mean <laughs> but uh, there was a couple photographs that, that I was like that photograph would make a wicked album cover like I just sort of want to take it so that I can use it but that's my own hoarder thing. Like, I can think of a use for that thing. So I was like, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to take anything because it, it, it can all go, do you know what I mean? Hey, and that's really brave as well, especially if you acknowledge that you're a fucking hoarder and you've gone, oh, but I really want it. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a pretty well, brave I'm thing. Well, I'm just, I'm super brave, people. Susie. What can I say? You're just so brave, you, you know, you're just so brave. I want, I I want to tell people about the other acts that were there that night. So I didn't get to see anything because I was no. performing the entire night. You must have but, heard about it. Yeah, I heard about. So Chris um, is is a live artist, performance artist. He works a lot with Blood and um, Body and Blood. Yeah. Um, live artist more than a performance. Yeah, artist. when I got there, there was like a pamphlet that said. Um, oh yeah, so this this act is going to be going on from seven till eight o'clock over here. Some nudity involved. This act over here has some themes of da 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 da. da. Then there was this one guy, and it was like, yes, includes bloodletting. I was like, what the hell is this going to be? Like you say, it's so nonchalant because you're a theatre maker. Just like he works with blood. Working with blood is terrifying to people who are not versed in sort of on the edge fringe art performances. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I remember. I was. I think I was messaging you after, and you said that. Actually, there was a couple of people who mentioned that because he was on the stage. So I was on the staircase. Right next to the staircase was like a. Uh, you could basically see the stage where he was performing. Yeah. And I remember. I think it was you and one of my friends, Sarge. He said that he was watching me, then kind of being distracted by this guy, and then like a few minutes later, was watching me. And then being distracted by this guy. Big and time. the next thing you know, it's like the whole thing is like body facing here, but can't keep your eyes off Chris. Well, yeah, I was hoping that that wasn't distracting you. The fact that like, I, I know I at least was... That doesn't bother me. It, it, but it, I'm just it, trying to get through the fucking memories. I'm like, uh, right, what can, <laughs> well, it, honestly, it's no shade on you at all. It's not as if like you could have been more entertaining and, and kept, you know, kept our attention. It, there was a guy off... It just uh, in our peripheral vision, who was piercing himself and pouring mystery liquids over his head and brandishing <laughs> weapons. And it, like at one point, he came walking from the stage through your audience just to get like into the wings. And it was it was so odd. Such a he was like, excuse me, excuse me. And he had words <laughs> carved into his chest, and he had his cock stapled to his ball sack. Oh, God, that gets me every time. I was trying to make out what never... was going on. I was like, what's going on with his dick? And he'd stapled it to his ball sack. I know to him, if he saw me <laughs> react, he'd be like, yeah, that's what you get. I've blown your mind, you little square. Do you know? <laughs> but yeah, it was, that was un unusual. Did he use a staple gun or a normal stapler? I don't know. I just don't know. It was just a, it was just a whirlwind of, the, the sort of the were the things that you would least want to see happen happening yeah because <laughs> uh, his piece was called all roads lead to shit right yeah, i yeah. think that was the name of his piece and i i and I, I understand the concept of it but 
I, ne- I never find live art really shocking. Like I really enjoy watching people like pierce their skin. And there are a lot of like, um, like rock bands or death metal bands that kind of fuse like this kind Allen of style. live art. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I kind of like seeing it. So I was a bit gutted that I missed it, but I, th- I find the most interesting, the response of, did you see that guy insert a jackhammer up his ass? Yeah. And it's like, no, I missed it. Like, what happened? <laughs> Tell yeah. me what happened. And uh, I'm not yeah, confident just, that he didn't pour shit over his head, you know. Yeah. So also, I, ju- I do remember faintly that I saw a guy kind of with a suit jacket on. Is that right? Was he wearing a suit jacket? I don't, I've repressed the memory, so. He was wearing a suit jacket, and I believe I remember faintly remember someone going, "Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me." But what makes me laugh, which I shouldn't really laugh, but it's funny when you think of it about the extremities, is that when he was coming off the stage, apparently he'd like slipped a little bit. Oh, I didn't notice. Like, he was coming off the stage, and obviously the floor is completely wet with all this mystery liquid, <laughs> and he kind of like stumbles down, and then yeah. he has to go, uh, "Excuse me, uh, excuse me," he needs to, well, need to get to the I dressing think... room now. That's sort of what would put off the real, um, the culturally illiterate, you know, people who are, it's too, it's like it, that sort of interpretive performance based art is like a bit out there for them. I think they would be like, mm-hmm. it's too serious and it takes itself too seriously. So I think if he could slip and then sort of laugh, be like, I've slipped and everyone sort of laugh and that's part of it. Exactly. Then I think it makes it that makes it more um accessible to the layman do you know what i mean absolutely and i, I think um as well with performance art and live art it could be considered quite serious and my investigation and also another reason why i did my landfill of memories is to fuse clown performance humor with live art not just being not just what i'm saying is funny but like it comes from a lightness and vulnerability that yeah. people can connect with and enjoy watching. Yeah. And so they go, oh, this is really light. So it's a heavy topic, but it's done in a light way. Whereas I kind of feel like sometimes performance art and live art is like kind of heavy and thinking. And yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I want to ask <laughs> like, you about the clown stuff, um, but I'm just going to yeah. reel off, uh, you know, a couple of the experiences that I had on that night very quickly before we get into the clown thing, because yeah, I'd be yeah, remiss yeah. If, I'm, if I didn't get to it there was um someone walking around blindfolded with a watermelon there was a man completely wrapped up in meters and meters of rope and he was just sort of slowly pottering about letting the rope drop as the night progressed there was um quite an attractive young lady um off in the corner completely naked pretending to be asleep or genuinely asleep. I don't know how art works if you have, oh, it's not real art, I, w- I wasn't genuinely asleep. We're, that no one was watching, by the way, because it was sort of uncomfortable. Like you'd sort of walk past and go, oh, a very attractive naked young lady. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine. Don't look at her muff. Do you know what I mean? I, I, made, I kept making laps of the place. I was just like, just walk past again, make sure everything's still okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, her muff is still intact. Very good. There muff, was a good guy. Muff. I mean, uh. <laughs> there was a guy stood in the foyer, um, which for a whole thirty seconds I, I wasn't convinced was an act, and he was just shouting someone's name. You know, like he was just going T 
Terry Fitzgibbons, Terry Fitzgibbons. And then he did that for six, uh, 60 seconds. Then the name would swap and he would do a different name. And I was like, wait a minute, he's not trying to get anyone's attention here. And he did that for three hours or some inordinate amount of time, just shouting people's names. And it was some comment on, um, you know, artists trying to vie against disappearing into obscurity and trying to have their name spoken and how futile it is. I, was, I, I don't know. That was my reading. I was just like, oh, I get it now. I'm cerebral. Well, I, I actually asked him about his piece. He said, oh, I'm going to read um, an artist's name for 60, sec- for 60 seconds. So I said, oh, you're, you're going to say, like, Francis Bacon. <laughs> I tried to elongate it for 60 <laughs> right, seconds. Right, yeah. And he went, no. That would have been cool <laughs> if you did that. For Pablo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have liked that. Uh, but yeah, the, the oh, clown right. thing. So you did actual clown training, right? Yeah, so I studied at a clown theatre school in Paris. Um, he called Philippe Goulier. Um, he is a master of clowning. He's been teaching clown for over 30 years, even longer. Like He's like in his 70s now, so he's been teaching it for at least 40, 50 years. So he trained at uh, Lecoq School. Um, he's a physical theatre practitioner in Paris, very famous. And then he went to that school and then was asked to teach at the school subsequently. And then he broke off from the school because of the way the school worked, the Lecoq School worked, was that it was everyone is allowed to come to the first year to train. And then you have to be invited back train for the second year to complete the school and after a few years Philippe got really sick and tired of that so he decided to open up his own school where anyone could come for first year and anyone could train for the second year um and so he started his school in Paris and then he moved to London so the p the kind of actors and actresses that went to the school in London is Sasha Baron Cohen um Emma Thompson Helena Bohm Carter um Simon McBurney, who is a part of Complicite, and various others. And I, I, I love Simon McBurney, certainly, and Emma Thompson. Yeah. And, and a big influence in my life is Sasha Baron Cohen. When I watched Borat, it completely changed everything for me because it was about parody. So went and trained at the school. So the school is in the creepiest little town in the whole of the outskirts of Paris. Like, it's this big. And all you have is international students there. I made friends with people from about 30 different countries around the world. Wow. It was the the best two years of my entire life. And that's not even in a cheesy way, as in a way of, I've learned so much about myself as a performer and as a person. And now I have to work on all of these things, which is really annoying sometimes, but it's it's a part of life. Um, what a strange trajectory, though. Like, I, I, I can't think of anyone and anyone else that I know that was like, I'm going to go and train as a clown in France. You, like, what's the de- where did that decision come from that you were just like, I'm going to do this? So, in my final year of uni, um, I was really interested in the work of Sasha Baron Cohen with Borat and about this kind of documentary, mockumentary thing that he had created. And so I wanted to do the same thing in my final year at uni. So I created this persona, this kind of Buffon character called Susan. She was super anal, she was a a Tory, and she kind of 
disrupted the hierarchy itself for Juno, which sounds like an epic thing. It wasn't that epic that you can watch. You can watch the video on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's well, I'll have long. it on screen then, if you don't mind. Like, let's as if yeah, we're watching can, it now. Yeah, you can totally. Yeah, you can totally watch it. I'm happy for you to watch it. Um, so it started from there, and then I came across Philippe's work m- more in depthly through that project. And then my and then uh, my dad had passed away two years before that. So then I had this I had this bit of money. And the school is an independent school, so it doesn't do grants or bursaries, doesn't do loans. It just if you've got the money, you can come and train. So I had all this money and I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna use this money to contribute to my career. And so I went and trained for two years and it was quite frankly the best training I've ever experienced. I got told every single day that I was terrible. Yeah, you've described it to me like clown whiplash. Like like the movie Whiplash, like, are you dragging or rushing? You would get little pinches and insults and stuff. But if that's the best in the world doing it, then you're getting the best in the world. Exactly. So he would say he would say stuff like, um, was she was she boring? Was she fucking boring? Or was she fucking, 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 fucking boring? Then he would turn to a student and they would go, uh, they were fucking, 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 fucking boring. And he would go, ah, very good. You are a very good student. Ah, you see, everyone thinks you are fucking, fucking, fucking boring. <laughs> and I, can't, I understand that methodology. And I'll tell you why, it doesn't work for everyone. And there's a lot of controversy within the clowning community to say that this, this is a very abusive way of, mm. of training people. And it, and it is. But it worked for me. So I have... That, that's my experience of going to that school. But he would say stuff like, uh, would you like to put her in a gas chamber for 10 minutes, get her out and then shoot her in the knee, put her back in the gas chamber? Or you think to yourself, ah, she is fantastic. I love her. She's a beautiful actress. And everyone would go, the same thing. No, I put her in a gas chamber for time. <laughs> like they repeat everything. It makes it really funny. But yeah. what he's trying to do is he's trying to strip away all this acting that we've learned over the years since we were like children, even, and strip away and strip away and strip away. And so you have this beautiful vulnerability that is just yours that you show through a character that you show to the world who you are and what you have to give to this role. And over i mean as i got into the second year my whole first year was absolutely awful i was so bad and then you do 10 weeks of clowning you do 10 weeks of clown training where you lead up to a clown show and i just discovered so much like i discovered that i was ashamed of who i was and where i'd come from i discovered that i was um i was using humor to cover up parts of myself like my body and you know um and then once I started to embrace who I was, so I, he said he gave me a clown character of um, a, a garden gnome, because when you do a clown show, you're in costume. So everyone is in different costumes. So you have someone who is a cowboy or you have someone who's a bad cowboy or you have a ballerina or a nun. And we all have these characters that, that we don't play the gnome, we don't play the, the nun, but it's just a costume that we enjoy being in, that we like to play in, because clown is, and, and performance is essentially just play. So I got given this garden gnome and I just loved having prop, like props and I loved having this massive belly. And, I, and during the show, I wore a, um, 
a waistcoat. I wore like a blue jumper and had this green, horrible granddad waistcoat and this massive belly. And during the show, um, one of my techniques to make the audience laugh was to cry and then to laugh and then to cry. And then as I was laughing, my belly was jumping, but all my buttons started popping up and it really made the audience laugh. And I really enjoyed that in the moment this, this thing was happening. And Philippe says, when the audience is laughing, um, then your clown is around your body. And I really liked that feeling of making audiences laugh. And then through the next subsequent um, modules of vaudeville, which is high, fast performance, I fucking aced, quite honestly. And then Buffon, which is kind of the stuff that Sasha Van Cohen does, which is just parody, um, I aced as well, because you spend the whole first year discovering all the, all the things that you're not good at or rather discovering things about yourself in the second year you're putting it all into practice but it's fucking intense mate it's not for the faint-hearted yeah it sounds like it sounds like yeah i, I don't know what to say about it, it sounds like um <laughs> spiritual experience feel free to cut that. yeah it was a very spiritual experience i mean feel free to cut all of that as well like you don't have to include all that stuff but that's the best part of the podcast so far susie that's riveting. I mean, I, I, all I was thinking is I want to see, I sort of want to be a fly on the wall in like there uh, as everyone's doing this and sort of, I'd love to see, I don't know if you know of any, like a documentary or, or writing a, about the guy and about Philippe and about students and, and if they're having similar experiences of like having you know some people will take to it immediately and some people will have a brutal first year and, and that they're, they're sort of unlearning everything that they've learned and being broken down and then reborn in the second year and yeah i don't know i sort mm. of asked about it in the first place because i knew it'd be interesting but um sort of thought it would be just about it would just be funny but it yeah it sounds like something that everyone would benefit from doing something similar oh 100 percent and I have never laughed as much as I have in these in those two years than I have in my entire life. Because sometimes when people are so bad on stage, like we know that they're doing, we know, like I saw, I saw a version of Hamlet. So Hamlet was played by this Korean guy called Jay and he was saying the text in Korean. Yeah. And um, Hamlet's mum was played by Julia, who was Brazilian. So she was saying her text in Portuguese. And it was the moment where we see Hamlet's dad emerge as a ghost behind, and Hamlet is the only person that can see it. But the guy playing the ghost was a bald-headed guy who had, like, the light was shining off his head, and he was wearing a potato sack as a, to pretend to be the ghost. And all you, you just saw him, like, go from one, end, one wing to the other, and I've, I've never laughed so much. Uh, there are some really good videos. You can YouTube... Uh, Philippe Goulier, but the BBC came to one of the sessions that I was in um, and I was dressed as a baby because my clown was a baby. Yeah. So I was really like body conscious. So I was like, I don't want to get my legs out. And then week four, I'm like, where's my fucking legs? Look at them. <laughs> they're like moving. and they're really small. Um, and there's actually a great video of me and my friend Luke who the BBC come and we're doing really bad. And so Luke ends up having a go at Philippe and he's like, why do you say nasty things? And I'm just stood there with my clown nose on, dressed as a baby, just like, don't know what to say. I'm in trouble. We should probably go. Uh, 
what shall we do? Okay, yeah, yeah, let's have a go at him. Yeah. Boo, Philippe. <laughs> and he just absolutely ripped us to shreds. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely recommend anyone who's interested in becoming an actor um, to do it because there's a great teacher who does movement there called Carlo Giacucci. Carlo Giacucci, he's Italian, and he is one of the best movement teachers I've ever had. He encourages, I mean, play is about playing. Like when you see kids play out on the street, that kind of fun and lightness and spontaneity is what actors should have. It, when they're performing and, and actually in everyday life. And I guess like a part of it is being in a bubble, but Carlo's work is about how well can you lie? Like how well can you convince us that, you know, you are something else. And that's, some, uh, and I found out I'm really good at lying. <laughs> I convince an audience, lots of different things, especially phys- physically. Like we, we had to do this stupid exercise where there is a wing so there's a theatre wing and there's a rope and someone is just holding the rope. And the exercise is you have to pretend that, that someone is on the other side of the rope pulling you. And, but what they're doing is just holding it. But how well can you convince the audience that you're actually pulling against something? It's like a mime exercise. It, it was a mime exercise, but it was really, it was really good. I and love doing saying, all that like, shit. It's, it is yeah. tragic that like all kids love play kids love to um well not necessarily dance because i didn't like dancing when i was a kid but kids love to sort of sing and mess about and do uh, you know just completely give in to their imagination and then everyone sort of like i know this sounds really cliche like yeah you don't get old you just stop tr-, but like everyone does mm. get it beaten out of them and, and it sort of doesn't make sense sense anymore it's not as if people are scared to necessarily but you just go why would i do that that's no longer interesting to me anymore but it is a shame mm. that that's sort of the most fun you can have is like, remember when you were a kid and you would just stay up with your other kid mates and just piss about and you never really get to do, well, no one feels like doing that, but you never have that mm. much fun anymore. Like if you went back now and had just at this age gone and started the, the, the clown college, the clown school now, do you think you could just biologically at the age you're at now enjoy it in the same way? Hi, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't know because I think the older you get, I think the less fucks you give sometimes. Yeah. So I kind of feel like the younger you are, the more ego, the more um, yeah, you, yeah. Ha- you you less likely want to look stupid. Whereas the older you get, the more you you embrace newer things because you're you're older and you care less about what other people think about you. Yeah. Which is why, whilst I was there, I was there when I was 25. Oh, was I? No, 24 to 26. So as I got older, uh, as the two years kind of progressed, I, I gave less fucks and I still, I give less fucks now than I've ever done in my life. I'm 29. Don't look it. I know. Thank you. <laughs> but the older people that were there, so people who were in their 40s and 50s or even in their late 30s, um, were the ones that excelled the quickest because they were able to list, to really listen to what Philippe is saying, because Philippe talks in ribble, riddles and parables quite a lot, um, and fables, he always gives a story. He'll, t- he'll spend 15 minutes telling you a story and go, okay, that's your exercise for the week, go. And you're like, what? what's the exercise? You just told me a story for 20 minutes. So I don't know whether I would, I would have been as successful because 
I don't know whether I would have accepted certain things that have happened in my life earlier or later. Right. But if I had a chance to go back and I had ample amount of money, I would definitely just go back and do a top up of the stuff that I've learned. Because I think you are absolutely right. As we get older, play and having fun and being, even if being a bit childish, he's beaten out of us in a really bad way. And people are so uh, oppressed. They want to be able to be, um, uh, to have, you know, that sparkle in the eye, you know, that sparkle, people don't have that sparkling, people don't have it sparkling anymore. <laughs> I, that's what I look for in people. I look for that, that sparkle, that playfulness, because yeah. that's fun and that's what life's about. Right, okay. like this is a good TV. question, I think. Like that, that is something that I definitely look Even for. Even if you do say so yourself, <laughs> it is a good question. Like no, like the the question sort of that of whether or not you're looking for that in someone. So it's sort of your questions or whatever. But like, well, yeah, the, like what traits? Because I look for that in people as well. Um, I'm wondering what what would you say are the key. Say, say three traits that you look for in a person. I'm imagining that's, that's one of them, that sort of um, willingness to, uh, I don't know, how would you describe that? And then, yeah, give me two other traits that you look for. In, and this is in relationships, in people, in friendships, in yourself. Like, these are three key traits that you'd like to find in a person. Mm, that's a good question. Are you going to put me on a dating website? Is that what's? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh, by the way, oh, okay. all all your future boyfriends are going to watch this video where you say I'm really good at lying, and then they're going to drive themselves crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! I'll get um, I'll give mine if you if you want to take some time to to feel inspired and let and let the answers ruminate inside your head. I'm going to yeah, go. I mean, it's really hard to put it down for three. Are you going to go to the toilet? No, no, I'm going to give you my three. Oh, go on, yeah. Okay, yeah. go on. Um, uh, maybe I'm one of those people that goes, hey, what's your favourite this? And then go, well, mine is this. And I only asked you so I can give you my answer. Um, I'm going to go, um, I like people to be um, sort of curious, um, you know, interested, which I think is a choice. I think you can choose to be interested in life and in new information and people. So I think people that are, sort of um, intrigued and wanting to know more and find out the, the next thing and find out this and find out that. Um, mm. I'm, I'm just going to write them down because I might forget because I've been drinking for hours. Have you they're really? Interested. Yeah, I'm, I'm writing them down because I think they're interesting. Oh, you're interested, are you? Of... Is this just an act? I'm interested. Is this just you proving that you match number one? Um <laughs> I'm going to go, As I like honest, I like um, however that manifests, I, I like the idea that someone is I open with themselves or, um, you know, sort of laid bare for you to know and, and, and they're re receptive and, and available, you know, because some people you like, fucking speak to me, who is this that I'm speaking to? So I, I love it when you feel as if whether it's dark even you know even if someone's like horrible mm. i'm like at least i, I know that that is you mm. although mm -hmm. there are people who i think are putting on a front that they are horrible Do, have you ever met these people Happens, that are like yeah, oh, yeah i'm just uh, i'm just brutally honest mate and it's like that's not actually you though is it no what they want is a hug just big give time. them a hug big time yeah what's the third one 
Um, I don't know. You give some. I can't think of it. I'll I'll be inspired by your answers. Okay. So, I love people who don't take themselves seriously or too seriously. Mm. I love people that can laugh at themselves and can and can laugh about the world. Like, not everything has to be so serious all the time. Mm. Like, I know that we're going through hard, like, hard, tough things like a pandemic. But I love laughing at, like, ironies. And I love laughing at things that aren't supposed to be laughed at. Like, um, you know, like, just idiosyncrasies that people have. Like, laughing about them. And, like you say, bringing them to the foreground that you can... You know, like what you're saying about people embrace their shadows, but at least I know that's who they are. That's what I like about people when they're not taking themselves too seriously. Like with my hoarding, I had to be really open with my housemates and I had to say, look, fucking hoarder, got loads of shit. I try and keep it as tidy as possible, but you know, this is my life. I'm going to go through and you're going to be with me. This is how it's going to roll. Um, I like, yeah, I guess I'm looking for traits that I like within myself who other people have. Um, I really like play, uh, someone who's playful, someone who is not scared to tickle me. You know, like, I just, I don't know. I want someone who, can bounce, who, who I can bounce off really well, yeah, and I need yeah. someone who's playful. So I need someone who's like, who's not afraid to laugh. I kind of feel like there are some guys these days that don't want to laugh at women or don't want to laugh like when I'm with guys, I can see guys, I make them laugh, but they just don't want to laugh because they don't want to, they think that I'm funnier than them. So they don't want to laugh. Oh, they're emasculated like, by that you're funny. Yeah. Oh, but so also I, it's not I, sexy to be like goofy, is it? For a guy, I think like, I know there's a lot of chat about like female standards of beauty or whatever, but there's this thing for guys where you sort of need to be like smoldering like not nothing's funny you're just a, a healthy young professional do you know what i mean and I, I feel like you there's this i don't know i don't feel the pressure but i'm aware there is a pressure of to to be like mm. <laughs> or as if nothing gets to you because it it's it's like you get in someone you get one over if you can get someone to laugh then you win in a way do you know what i mean so i feel like ir irrespective of the fact that it's coming from a female i think if if a guy feels as if he's been made to crack and he's been made to um, be, it's like a vulnerability to laugh in that moment. And you need to be like this hard protector guy that I don't laugh at things. I just kill the antelope and bring it to you. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm, that sounds nice. A nice yeah, there barbecue is, antelope. I mean, <laughs> cute, might delete later. Um, yeah, I definitely think, um, being able to because if you're, if you're emasculated by a woman making you laugh like why would i want to be with you yeah. you know isn't it sex it's so much more sexy when a guy is able to laugh at a woman and it's not and it, i don't know why it has to be a gender thing anyway but i i like making people laugh whether you're a man or a woman but i think when you're younger or when you're like our age because we're quite young um it's all about being serious and being the most intelligent and knowing the most about curry or you know, going to that art exhibition. And it's like, why does any of that matter? Like, what about just being with each other and laughing about things? Why isn't that more important than um, who's seen the latest film or, I don't, not that, that's a bad example. Um, I don't know. It's almost like it, 
intellectually you're battling with each other yeah and i i like take like to take the intellectual out and just be with people um yeah and you notice that on film sets as well or or if you do theater the more playful someone is the more intimidated the other actors are because they're not as free and so that's really hard too uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's odd. It's just really hard when you're completely dominating. Yeah, there's this way in which people who are, um, I think it's why people are attractive um, to others if they appear to have found out the secret to enjoy in their life. You know, you like playing, it's like, oh shit, I feel completely neurotic and, and just caged and hemmed in by all my um fears and worries and uh, you know just the normal concerns that anyone is probably going to have and that person mm -hmm. seems to have figured out the secret and that's intimidating and attractive at the same time you're just like oh I'll, I'll follow them whatever they say like maybe i'll find out the secret as well but it, yeah in a way it's like yeah I, I i can understand why some people would resent others for really enjoying their life in the most childlike way possible when mm. they themselves don't feel like capable of it this is so mm. such a heavy thing to be discussing isn't it but uh i think that's yeah, how it but is it's what i'm looking for in a future husband and i also want to be with someone <laughs> who is um interested in changing the world oh, in their shit. own way so whether that's someone who um so I did meet a guy a couple of months ago. He wasn't like the most attractive, but he was attractive because he was he wanted to change the world. Oh yeah. And he wanted to do it through policy making, like climate change policy making. And I was like, oh, I, that's that's pretty sexy, and I like that. It, was it the so, specific purpose that he was um, following, or was it just the fact that he was considering something to be so important, and he was impassioned about an issue, or was it that? specific like altruistic bent to it yeah i think it was because he was already on his way to getting to the point where he would be able to do that that was quite attractive was that he said this is what i want to do and this is this is how i've been doing it and i'm only this far away from getting to where i want to be and that's really cool so like ambition maybe is what it is but what if that's misplaced is that ambition still sexy if you like completely disagree with the actual direct, you're like, you're 10 steps down the ladder, but the ladder is pointed towards Mordor. <laughs> um, I would probably say that if someone is pursuing something that they want to do and it benefits many people in a good way, then that's sexy. I agree with you. Was that your question? I, I agree with you. Not the question, but you agree. You did inspire me with your answers to uh, for, for my third trait. I'm going to just go like... Oh, go on. Hum just humour. So it's sort of similar to yours, but someone who's can can look at everything from the perspective of like what's funny about this. Because I, I think for the... Just the... If you're going to be cold about it and completely inhuman about it, it literally just facilitates coping with things better. But if you're going to be very mm -hmm. human about it, that's just like everyone's favorite thing in life isn't it like laughing so I, I think someone who can yeah laugh at themselves maybe we we are very congruent threes there i don't know we are kindred spirits i think we're looking for we, we have very you know i think because also when it comes to you're looking for someone who's curious in in things 
like that comes from just being open and like when you're creative you're always open to things so you're always like inviting new topics or new areas of interest into your life so that when you're I think when you're a creative you invite people in who are also have come from various areas of life and who have learned things that you don't know about um but I also think that sometimes being a creative is a bit shit because you don't really make much money from being an artist and um I think that's just basically the only negative really is that you don't make a lot of money but you learn so much about life yeah and people are scared to learn about life you know these people who are you know in nine to five jobs that don't do anything now in this pandemic that we're in so many of those people who can't go to work or are not in work are actually rediscovering things about themselves from doing things that are creative yeah so whether that's painting or whether that's cre even creating a TikTok, um where they're like right how am i going to film this they're like evoking their creativity and i think you'll i think after this is all over you'll see a lot of people hopefully continuing to um pursue their creative interests oh, I hope but so. definitely having an openness to creativity um is really important and that's why you like people who are interested yeah yeah correct mm. <laughs> like yeah like, um yeah i hope that we see a lot more creativity because I, I always had this thing like i i used to so i hang out with a bunch of musicians and, and you jam i like as musicians uh, there's an industry term uh, it may, oh yes you know, i know like, about jamming i have egg shakers that i that i use to contribute straight up um and i think there's this part of i always wanted to i never really jammed with like a a significant other you know a uh a romantic interest and I feel like I'd love to do that because it's this this side of them this dimension to them that you would otherwise never get to see but it's very real and and everyone has sort of running in the background Ooh. with like evidenced by the fact you, you've been noticing that people have been forced to do a TikTok or something creative take pictures and put out content mm. from home and you know, just out of boredom I feel like everyone's got this creative self that when you are a kid you're dancing and singing and, and playing and and making stuff and then you just sort of forget about nurturing that side of yourself i think it's yeah it's that you get to see that side fully engaged when you jam with someone and and i get it must like be similar close to your fist, like fully I, engaged. just five <laughs> fingers right in this um <laughs> Um, you must have a similar thing if you like Im improvising either comedically or in any way on stage with people and you get to you sometimes you'd be like oh i didn't i had you pegged wrong because when you when i get to see the creative side of you you've sort of blossomed in a different way than i imagined you would have or vice versa someone might seem very confident and then not have any sort of um fluidity or um i don't know you, honesty to their performance when they're just jamming do you know what i mean but um i was yeah. going to ask you actually on a related topic um you've got a show that you you've been writing haven't you yeah, like you um have a a thing that you've been working on um that's sort of to do oh i'll let you explain it but um yeah a show that's probably would have already been starting to be uh, in action already if, if it wasn't for the Rona for the I've heard you call it Coco V copyright Susanna yeah, Amato <laughs> um, yeah do you want to talk about that show yes so it's about death du, 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 du. 
Um, it's it's just going to be a ridiculous show about how people deal with death, how I've dealt with death, and um, things that I've learned from it. Um, death has definitely shaped me into my in my adulthood. And so, yeah, it was just going to be an hour one-woman show. Again, in it would have been an interactive show or at least a participationary show. Um, not too much participation, though, because people are scared of participation. Um, people come up and die on stage. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, it's, this, it's just a continuation of exploring this fusion of clown and or, or aspects of clown and live art or performance art. Performance art is more autobiographical, so I guess it's performance art. Um, yeah, and it, it, you know, it's it takes a, a lot a lot of how great things are made. <laughs> great things are made, especially when I make them. Start <laughs> off being really shit. <laughs> they turn out to be like quite cool. Um, so yeah, it's just it's still in the shit shit period where I'm still writing and I'm still digging deep. Um, I had a great realization the other day when I was drunk because I seem to work much better when I'm pissed. Yeah, you is... write write drunk, edit sober, that's what they say, right? Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, the next day, uh, I kind of came to a realisation and a lot of it was sparked by Brexit. So the reason I wanted to start this, this death show was because I'm first-generation British. Um, my parents are both foreigners, so my dad was Italian um, from the Amalfi Coast, which is obviously very famous for being one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And my mum is French Algerian, so uh, French occupied Algeria was when she was born, and then now it's considered a Muslim country, whatever that means. Right. Uh, but she moved to France, and then she moved to England. So when Brexit kind of was around in 2015, 16, um, I voted to, I voted to, I voted to stay in, um, but I was like, who? what does this mean? Like, am I European? Am I British? Am I Italian? Because I've actually got dual nationality with Italy and I have an Italian passport, which I will not shred because they're so hard to get. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm a citizen of Italy, so I could technically move to Italy and start a new life there and it'll be sweet. But it really made me think about identity and identity politics and why, because I saw myself as British before, but now I see myself as Italian or French or a foreigner or a bastard or a, a mongrel, as Philippe liked to call me. He goes, you're a mongrel, but mongrels are the best because they have a mixture of everything. Yeah, they're the healthiest dogs. Yeah, exactly. I oh, can't say my muscles uh, this side better. Absolutely. Oh, wow, look at that. Kid. Anyway, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, so this new idea that I've got is kind of, is kind of using identity and how I identify myself in this death show and obviously have a better idea of who I am at the end but another kind of negative about being creative is that you struggle with identity because you're so open to everything and you take everything on and you like everything or you dismiss this part but I like these aspects of life is that you then struggle to have an identity so I also want to explore that as well so it's kind of like deaf identity and a, a mixture but I had a little opening at Sheff in Sheffield for Theatre Delhi to kind of trial the idea to see uh, to see what audiences would think a bit like the commission at Nine Moss. Yeah. Um, but obviously that's been fucked up. So I'm just spending my time writing and 
and just exploring this other because I know I, I actually know that other people feel like this. I saw a Vice documentary about uh, this Japanese girl who also feels the same. Who was kind of embarrassed at school for having rice in her lunchbox, and I had the same because I had a salami in mine. And so people were like, "Uh, what's that in your lunchbox?" And it's like, "Oh, well, this is normal. This is just salami." You know, she had the same thing with with you have rice in your lunchbox. That's really weird. Um, so I definitely know that there's a theme, an underlying theme, that if you're younger and you grow up in in Britain, um, that there's this kind of like disconnection to feeling included. And then when you get older, you want to exclude others because you are feeling included in society. So it's kind of like this push and pull, this conflict. Yeah, like an in-group, out-group sort of mentality. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what's right or wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I have to just explore it in my writing, and you'll have to come and watch me. I will cut. Like it sounds riveting. So, like I'm sure, as soon as the uh, the old pandy passes, then we can. Um, the pandy. The pandemic. <laughs> we can uh, get stuck in on the. I'm excited for all the arts. You know, like what music bands are going to come out with, and short films that are going to have been written in this time and the theatre mm. shows like, like yours and yeah I'm excited for it but um, yeah I mean yeah I have a sorry continue. I have a bit of a love hate at the moment with the pandemic because because I deal in theatre mostly I kind of feel like people are panicking especially performance artists and live artists the kind of underground scene they're kind of panicking because they can't actually get their work in this sphere because the work that I do needs an audience and if there's no audience but just a screen, how how are we supposed to interact yeah, with people? No. And so there's this, I kind of have this, um, why should I feel like I have to translate my work just for it to be seen by the people? Um, yeah. That's just something that I think is interesting at the moment is digital theatre and people using aspects of uh, technology in their work. I don't know. I think it's cool if you can include it, but I don't know whether if, how theatre is going to survive well i mean in, increasingly so theatre is going to have to adapt to whatever the world looks like post pandy mm. you know like post pandy because <laughs> <laughs> um, i don't know about or, uh, hopefully we look back at this podcasting or look at us completely biting the hook everything went back to normal after five months or but i'm I suspect mm. that there will be irreparable damage done to how live shows in general, like music festivals or theatre stuff, can operate like lawfully. So I don't know, but yeah. Well, they're saying that they won't have open outdoor festivals until twenty twenty one. Bollocks! <laughs> I've been trying to convince my mates at home in uh, in my hometown to just organize an outdoor festival because i think it can be done we have the resources we have the people who everyone wants to go out right now and do that shit so it's not for mm. lack of manpower that you would be able to pull it off um yeah like as long as everyone's adhering to whatever i don't know what the law is there's guidelines but what what what's guidelines is that the law fuck the guidelines yeah fuck they the don't know government what they're talking now. about they don't know fuck all Illuminati, mate. But it, it is interesting um, that if you're doing a death show, surely that will have um, a, a little bit of influence or 
have some some input from how people think because death is like mortality is on everyone's minds right now. I know we didn't want to get into like COVID too much, but um, it you know it's it's definitely a a current affair, isn't it? It's a topic that everyone's been forced to consider recently. So, do you think that will feed into any of the writing of that show or how it takes shape? Uh, possibly, um, pr- um, probably more likely because the way that certainly in America, the way that they're dealing with the, the huge mortality rate is just that they're just dumping bodies into big kind of canyons. And Jesus, there's no really? like, formal ceremony. There's no rituals. Yeah, they're just going, we have so many bodies. We have nowhere to house them. There's Holy no like shit. mortuaries we can put them in. There's no, you know, they're using like um, supermarket uh, freezer vans to keep them in, As to more. keep the bodies in. And it's, I know it's just so intense that in America, they're just going, we don't know what to do. So let's just do it like this because that's going to be the easiest way for us to deal with it. And so there's a removal of ritual. There's a removal of saying goodbye, especially as you can't see the body before. You know, you can't even say goodbye um, to people now um, before they die. So that will definitely have a an impact into what I'll be writing. I'm, I'm actually working with someone from Sheffield who's a writer. Her name's Sarah Banks. Um, she's the wife of a famous musician. You'll have to look that up. But she's writing a book about death. And so we're going to collaborate once this is all over and talk about our experiences and inform each other about it. But um, I think it's, I, I genuinely feel a lot of empathy and a lot of compassion for people who are dealing, having to deal with the kind of um, impending death of a family member or a friend in this crisis because it, it is not a pretty way to deal with this situation no and especially but, if well, if we end up we do look back on it with sort of um the hindsight of oh perhaps that we handled this wrong or this wrong you know because we don't necessarily understand the virus completely at this point in time um mm. you know you're gonna people are gonna be thinking back going i'm gonna fucking sue the hospital i very well could have seen my mum when she died or you know like people are gonna go i was mm. i had that moment of being able to be there present for my mum in a dying moments, the final bite of the meal, you know, like you save the best bite for last mm. in the roast dinner because you don't want to eat the sprout last and have the bad taste. And some people's lives are ending now, like I'm all alone because we haven't really figured out what the etiquette and the pr- protocol and procedure around this virus is right now. But it's mm. nuts. And I'm sure it's you like know, you're pe- thinking about it a lot as well. The they can. Yeah. You know, the, the, the NHS doctors and nurses are doing what, what they can in, in the spaces that they have. And, yeah. you know, they don't know what to do. So they're saying, look, we're, we're going to try and protect as many people as possible. I mean, again, I don't want to get into it too much. But it's, I would rather, like, I don't know, would you rather run the risk of catching this disease to say goodbye to a, to a family member or a friend? Um, but potentially take away resources from them in the process. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a deep question. It, it's very complicated. And I think we should be very mindful that you might not always be able to, you might not always have the opportunity to do the things that you want to do. But this is why we have to save our moments. And this is why being light and being playful and using humour is a really good way of taking away um, unnecessary um 
unnecessary darkness about the broken world that we live in. Yeah, get off Facebook and news updates and shit. Like, you know what? I'm I'm going days at a time recently, forgetting that we're in lockdown. I'm like just doing my life, watching my shit, doing some work, going outside for a run, and then all of a sudden I go, oh shit! It's yeah, it's it's Coco V. Like it, it's it's Coco V time. It's odd to forget about it, but I'm. I'm glad that that's possible to do, and I, I do encourage people not to uh, to be on social media too much because that's where all the uh, all the bedlam is. And just mm. stay tuned to Pretendship, where it's always happy and, and fantasy. And um, you must be thinking about it a lot right now because you have asthma, right? Which is an at-risk group. It is, and again, I can get away with a lot being asthmatic it's like i don't have to get shopping don't have to what in what respect out. people someone's appointed by the government to help you or what do you mean <laughs> what do you mean you don't have to get shopping just imagine they had the resources to give like five and a half million people with asthma yeah i don't know what, what do you mean what do you mean you don't have to go shopping as in i because you are at, at risk, because you you are in a vulnerable group, you uh, can't. You're you're not really supposed to go out. So you're not really supposed to go to the shops. Are people really doing that to... for you? I <laughs> just get my friends to go. <laughs> oh, are you lucky that you're likable? I I don't think I have a friend <laughs> in my in where I live now. I don't, in Levenshulme, I don't think I could even ask anyone to do it. So I'm forced to go to the shop. I use it for everything. I would say like. Oh, Susie, can you just pass me that thing? I would, but I've got asthma. I so do remember people really in school sorry. when we were doing, you know, massive laps around the sports field or whatever. You would, people would just stop and, and then the teacher would be like, "What are you doing?" Like, I got asthma, mate. I got asthma. And like me and my mates always asthma. used to joke like, ah, "I've got asthma. Can I have a tenner? I've got asthma." <laughs> no, I go for a run still. I go for a run every day, even though I've got asthma. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I remember when we were first trying to plan this, I was like super scared to go out. I was super scared to look at anyone. I would be like, don't look at me, don't breathe on me, don't yeah. walk near me, go away. Uh, because I was scared of getting this thing that could seriously affect the way I live the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but I went into a shop the other day and I didn't like it. There was no social distancing. No, people um, don't give a I, shit. Well, I went to Aldi and people who have trolleys are absolute cunts. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? Um, say what you want. They, <laughs> they just thought because they had a trolley that they were like somehow superior to distancing. And the fact that we we're wearing a mask and a trolley, it's like, look, just because you've got a trolley doesn't mean you can impede in my space, go away. And whilst you're there, I will take this cabbage from you. Bye. Come chase me around the shop, bitch. Did, did you do that? Bye. Yes, I did. Like, <laughs> don't be a dick. Like, love. I, I wonder if people's face. I wonder if it's going to remain like that, and even after this sort of blows over, there'll be, um, will sort of remain a little bit distancey or, or wary of of transmitting illnesses of any description or if there'll be a pushback and everyone will be extra like just getting off with each other all the time i don't know do you know what i would love right now like i've always loved this anyway like this idea but um i would love to do it 
pertinently right now is go and get the works. Go to the doctor and say, here's X amount. Test me for all the things. Tell me what's going on with my lungs, with my brain, with my blood, with my bones. Tell me what's going on with my digestion. Do aptitude tests, you know, like IQ, bang, 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 bang. Just get, mm. get a big tome, a big document that's just like, this is what's going on with you. That would be wicked to mm. have right now. Like an MOT? An MOT. Yeah. Well, you can get an MOT from your doctor. For super amounts of money, right? No. Like, you can say, you can go to your doctor and say, I need to have a blood test because um, I'm recently vegetarian and I keep fainting, for example. And then they will just do a blood test and they'll send it off and then you'll get results for, like, vitamin A or all your vitamins and minerals and... For free, uh, your red blood. Yeah, the NHS. Yeah. Oh, Susie. If you've got, if, I, I've just realised that had... I'm in desperate need of a wee. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, all right, yeah, all right, gonna go quickly a have too. a wee and then come back. Oh my goodness, that was a an awful wee. I, oh, I think is it awful? my body had gone on like um, lockdown, for lack of a better word. And it was reluctant <laughs> to let the wee start come in when I, I was like, you can go now, quick, go. And you've been asking, come on, produce. And the body was like, I won't let it drop. And I was like, no, you can, now's the time, quick. And it was like, never. Because it was so, it was like reluctant to, after it had so, because I, I must have been in the zone, like dialed into what you were saying for ages. And then I don't, it happens sometimes, I'll be like editing or something, I'll go, Oh my god! I've needed a wee for five hours, and then I'll—I I couldn't even run to the bathroom. I had to like—I was squatted, hobbling to the bathroom, just in pain. And there's like stabbing pains up inside my rectum and shit. Like, wasn't a good. Wow. It was a bad wee. The wee was going like, and then it would just stop. And I go, "Come on!" And it was like, "Yeah, for definite," because you didn't want to for a while. And I was like, "No, no, it's cool." And then just these little blasts. It was bad. It was not enjoyable. Wow. I just got like a really good insight into... I thought I was going to piss my cock off. <laughs> <laughs> shall, we, uh, shall we wrap it anyway? <laughs> I, I, uh, I've kept you yes. quite long enough. Um, oh, that is the best thing i've heard all day <laughs> i'm going to piss my cock off yeah I thought it was, <laughs> yeah bad. i thought a longer was gonna fly out of my uh piss hole <laughs> um excellent this this episode will be online forever so there's some chance if you're not keeping up with them um just as they drop if and you're just like listening to this at some point after the point at which it was originally posted, you can go and see what Susanna's up to and check out if she's currently doing or uh, the show that we were discussing, the death, the death show, we've affectionately uh, referred to it as, um, or there'll presumably, presumably be uh, some other piece, some project on. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that you'll just stop doing them at any point. No, so yeah, I don't have a lot of money, but I do have a website, but it's not online, but you know, note it down anyway. It's just Susanna Amato, S-U-S-A-M-M-A-A-M-A-T-O, dot squarespace.com. So that's my website. So when it's up and running, you can see all the stuff that I do on there. 
also you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, yeah, you follow on Instagram, which is curly sue um, underscore zero. Um, yeah, you got it. You got your own Instagram handle, right? Um, I'm also on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook, Susanna Amato. Um, but anything that's happening, it will be on all those channels. Um, and also, if you just want to say hi and just like, um, if you feel like you've got something to contribute or collaborate, I, I love collaboration. I love devising stuff. I'm a theatre maker, so it's kind of in the nature of the work. Um, you know, drop me a line. Um, I always get people messaging me because uh, I do a lot of research on Facebook as well. So I put questions or polls out because uh, I guess a lot of the people that I'm friends with are diverse. Like we've, I've got a diverse range of friends. So um, I tend to get really good results when I'm asking questions. So I'm always interested in what people have to say um, as a storyteller. So yeah, or just drop me a line anytime. You are welcoming what the universe has to throw at you. Absolutely, oh, yeah. always. Check out our collaboration on uh, the C33's music video, which is set to come out. And I was given express instructions not to put up any footage in the video because at the release date of this, which will be like in April, end of April, um, the video is not dropped yet, but forevermore after April 2020, you probably can go and see the video um, where you got to play a ne'er-do-well. <laughs> I call myself the girlfriend. I don't see myself as anything else yeah. apart from playing the girlfriend. If there was credits, then you that's what you would be listed as, the girlfriend, which is it, sort of also funny because you are, in in one respect, the hero of the video and you have the the iconic moment in the video, the drop moment, I call it, where the final chorus hits and you get this celebratory, you know, like the shot of the video for me. And you get the thumbnail as well. I've not shown you that yet, but you have the, the well, providing they choose the thumbnail that I sent, I like to send bands a, uh, a little, um, a little dozen <laughs> thumbnails to pick from. And, uh, but then I say, if it were me, I'd pick this one, which is you. Um, but yeah, you're sort of like the hero character in a way of the video so it'd be i think it'd be like funny to just refer to you as the girlfriend as if you can only exist mm. as like uh, in relation to <laughs> the male character as the woman in the video you can yeah. only be one thing and that's you know the lad in the video the, the main one well it's like the person what he shags if you could call it a you have person. Two functions, just to be a woman and to be open for business. Yeah. <laughs> I really I love the video that that you met that you made. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I've seen a sneak peek of it. I think it's fucking awesome. Nice one. Thank you. I'm pr I'm so proud to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, uh the, it really wouldn't have been able to we wouldn't have been able to pull it off because um, it's really narrative driven without you and Alex and Sam, um, all the actors that are in there. Um, so, mm. Yeah, you all just are fine performers in your own right. So I think it really could have looked easily very B-tech and very uh, sort of college media project <laughs> if it had been anyone except people that can sort of command a little bit of gravitas on screen. Mm. B-tech. I did a B-tech, did you? Um, I went to, I did A-levels at college when I first went, dropped out when everyone got very serious and stopped 
trying to party quite as much in the second year. Then I went back to a different college and did a BTEC in music. Um, and then the same thing happened where everyone was like, oh, grades. And I was like, squares. <laughs> and then look, look at me now, mum. So, you did a BTEC in what? Look at me now. And like, what I don't think what the audience can't see is, is your background, which is just a selection of different shades and patterns of curtains. Look the tree house, now, you mean? I don't know what you're talking about, Susanna. It is a tree house what I'm sitting in. No, the, the no, the magic is there. The magic is there. I can't see anything. Um, yeah, if you haven't watched the podcast, anyone, if you're just listening, I do encourage you to go over and check it out. Put a little bit of effort into the visuals there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, it's been lovely to have you, Susanna. Suze, Susie. Thank you. No, it's been an absolute pleasure and I've loved chatting to you for the past two hours. Um, well, we we planned like time. an hour, but we got carried away with ourselves, didn't we? I know. Well, you're a good interviewer, so of course you're going to get the best contento. It's nice to speak to yeah. someone from the outside world, so uh, I've been relishing it. I've not had a hug from anyone for about seven weeks. That is like... If you did that to a baby, it, it would be reasonable grounds to send someone to a jail. Mm, yeah. Yes. Well, I can't wait till all this is over so I can actually touch another human being. What's the second wave going to be like whenever, when the lockdown's lifted and everyone gets out and starts lezzing off with all their mates? Mm, I'm going to get chlamydia. I'm going to get gonorrhea. I'm going to get hepatitis. I don't care. That's the as goal. As long as I'm being touched. That's the goal. <laughs> that's the goal <laughs> alright nice one thanks very much anyway and cheers everyone for um, checking out the episodes I got more coming of course till next time till next time cheers <laughs> thanks bye bye, bye.